Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name's Jason Carty. My name's Stephen Cockcroft. And we are live on tape from Dublin. Today, we are going to talk about songs that the Beatles wrote about each other. So, in the latter half of the Beatles' uh, recording career, they, a new kind of song appeared where songs that the Beatles wrote about the Beatles themselves. This eventually turned into songs that the Beatles wrote about other Beatles. And then once they became solo artists, this turned into a whole new cottage industry of back and forth between uh, each of the Fab Four. And then later on, after the 1980s, they kind of take on a more sad and tribute type level of song. So we're going to kind of talk about these Beatles songs throughout history and uh, what they all mean. I think it all starts off quite innocently enough, doesn't it, Stephen? They, they seem to come off the road in 66, and in 67, there's not really much to look at except the four walls and each other, and they start I, picking on songs about themselves. I think that's it. I mean, they've, they've always sort of taken inspiration from, from things around them that they, they saw, that they encountered. As you say, post-touring, uh, it's a lot more introspective. So there, you, you know, you have Lennon famously taking the, you know, a day in the life from newspaper clippings or, you know, McCartney and his traffic warden in, 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 yep. in Lovely Rita. Um, so that they're, they're writing about themselves. Um, in Lennon's case, this is sort of uh, accelerated perhaps by Yoko coming in and saying, well, all art is personal and you should be writing about yourself and the things that are happening directly to you. So there's a distinct shift away with Pepper, I suppose, from the, you know, she loves you, he loves you, I mm. love you, you love me, you've left me type type of song. And um, uh, they, they, they stop to a large extent writing Love songs, which made up the bulk of their, their their previous albums. Yeah, and so I was trying to figure out which song would you you know lay claim to being the first song that the Beatles wrote about being the Beatles. And my number one vote goes to "Only a Northern Song," which was uh, obviously written by George. So it's it's uh, you know got a head start. For George greatness. breaking yeah. barriers there. Uh, it was recorded on the thirteenth and the fourteenth of February, nineteen sixty-seven. And Northern Songs, it, it's obviously a double meaning in a way because Northern Songs was the publishing house set up by Dick James around Lennon and McCartney um, which uh, have also signed George Harrison for the yep. first couple of years and you know in a 30 second review if you don't know what music publishing is it controls the copyright of a, of a written song not the physical recording or the sound of the song but it just you know any money that's going to be generated through cover versions or being put in a movie or put in a TV show or radio play all that money comes through 
publishing. So Northern Songs was a publishing company run by Dick James. And when it was formed around Lennon and McCartney, Lennon and McCartney got about 15% each of the company. And the company had been a huge revenue generator. It went onto the stock exchange in 1965. And George had signed on as a very much a very junior partner for his first run of songs to be published through Northern Songs. So when he sings, it's only a Northern song. He's talking about the publishing company, but there's also this double meaning of a Northern song from the north of England. Yeah. And I think it's interesting in that way that only a Northern song, you could argue, is the third leg in the stool of Strawberry Fields Forever, Penny Lane, only a Northern song. It's George's reflection of Northern wit, maybe, or Northern take on his life. Yeah, uh, it, you could be right. I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me before, but certainly um, the, the idea at the time was the new album, which became Sgt. Pepper, was originally going to be uh, autobiographical. They were going to be writing songs about their childhood, about Liverpool. Um, so, yeah, I can see that it, it, it fits with that. And it also fits with this notion that, um, you know, George was not particularly happy uh, with the publishing split, with the arrangement with the financial side. Mm. Um, you know, as you say, he was a, very much the junior financial partner uh, there. So, yeah, I think, I think it, it, it bears that double meaning. Um, but it is definitely, you know, if you, if you look at it, it is definitely a song about the Beatles' business situation or the situation he was in at the minute. It was recorded in February 67 for Sgt. Pepper, but left off Sgt. Pepper. And much and all as I love Only a Northern Song, I think it should I think the better George song got onto Sergeant Pepper in Within You Without You? I think uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I mean, I think if, if if Within You Without You hadn't come along and he was more or less forced into writing that because uh, I think George Martin principally said this isn't this isn't up to scratch. This isn't mm. good enough. Um, you know, but I think in terms of the style, I think it would fit Sergeant Pepper. It's a great annoyance to me that it didn't make the Sergeant Pepper. 50th anniversary box because there are various takes of that referred to in in Mark Lewison's book and yes. I would it's a song I would uh, that owes a lot to production a lot to kind of studio trickery if yeah. you like but I would like to hear uh, if there are demos and earlier takes yeah it, it is a it is a fantastic song I always in my mind I always put it with it's all too much you know it's yeah. kind of just George letting go I, and I, Paul I, doing his crazy bass lines and just I, I think that the George songs I mean Within You Without You sort of stands alone mm. perhaps but I think those two songs are, are very distinct George songs there's a slightly kind of sour quality slightly odd discordant quality to them so uh whether it's reading too much into it, but you know, you've got that kind of uh, hippy dippy summer of love stuff. And mm. I think George, by this stage, is, is a little bit cynical uh, about the sort of dropping acid as the way to enlightenment. Yeah. And then if you look at kind of other things that happened in 1967, so you could say, look, only a northern song. If that's our first song where the Beatles are kind of singing about the Beatles, there are other kind of self referential moments during 67. So you could argue that the Sergeant Pepper reprise at the end of Sergeant Pepper is this kind of meta band song about a band, about a band. Yep. You could say that, you know, All You Need Is Love has She Loves You, Yeah, 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 sung by Paul in the fade out. I Am The Walrus mentions Lucy in the Sky. Um, but it's all kind of very playful. It's very light. There's nothing very deep or meaningful about it. And then you kind of skip forward a year. Um, they come back from India. They're putting down songs for the White Album. And one of the songs demoed is Glass Onion. And Glass Onion, you know, which ends up on the White Album, is a song that its whole point of the song is that it's a Beatles song about Beatles references. It's not about anything else. No. Um, and I think that that's... 
there's this notion by that, the stage that John had latched onto, which is uh, all art should be self-referential and it should uh, the artist is central uh, in in all art. Um, Glass Onion, yeah, uh, it, it, it's an odd song. You know, he had bits of lyrics that you know this reference to a cast iron shore, mm-hmm. which is a particular section of Docklands in Liverpool, as I understand it. But he had had that phrase kicking around for a while that he wanted to use, so he sort of shoehorns it into the uh, into the lyric. It, it's a very odd song. Um, mm. uh, and yes, you said sort of virtually every other line is, is referring back to an earlier. And it almost shouldn't work. I mean, if, if I was Paul McCartney and John Lennon came up to me and said, hey, I'm going to write a song and it's about all our other songs. Yeah. He'd be like, oh, man, this is going to stink out the room. Yeah. But actually, it, it, it the, does work very well. They it's, do. They pull it. They pull it off. Yeah. Mm. And it's, it was the if, if you haven't seen it, there was a video made in 2018 for Glass Onion as the lead single for want of a better term from the the white album reissue and the video itself is a self-referential video of little Beatles memories and Beatles ideas it's a a fantastic uh, meta thing to seek out it is it's a song I like and I particularly like in in the white album that the different the the box set the the, the great version uh, as you say was the lead off track but at the same time there's something sort of I don't know needy well, not needy, but it, the, the, there's something cynical okay. about it, and I think I, what what I always if, if if you start to look at that, I think there's uh, uh, there's a lack of respect. I think for the fan. Okay, uh, that's really what what I take out of that. There's you know, a sneery like, tone. There's in a it. sneering tone to it. There's mm. that. Here's another clue for you all. Yeah. The walrus was Paul. Yeah. yeah you know, I, I I think if Paul. Was, was writing a song like that, I think it would be very upbeat. It would be, aren't the fans wonderful? Mm-hmm. You know, George, later he writes Apple Scruffs about yes. the fans that stand outside. That's a very nice uh, song. This is not a, it's not a nice song. There is, a, there is, I think, a kind of sneering quality to it. Yeah, I think he's kind of trying to get his own back on the fans who are kind of reading too much into what's going on. Yeah, I think, I think that taking one step back, I think the I Am The Walrus was written in part because someone said to him, or wrote to him saying that in Lennon's old school yeah. they were teaching English by reference to Beatles lyrics and uh, you know you could imagine something like Eleanor Rigby being on the on, mm. on, on the curriculum um, so he thought yeah well I'll, I'll show them uh, <laughs> so he, he came up with a nonsense lyric I am the walrus which which you know see how they run which then feeds into Paul lifts that for Lady Madonna oh yeah um, and then they they both those songs turn up in in Glass Onion, so it's a it's a very sort of meta approach. Mm. Um, but I think he's writing it in a way that uh, is is you know he's he's not doing the fans. Yeah, he's not being nice. He's not it. being nice there. And there's a couple of other playful in-house references on White Album tracks. So Savoy Truffle mentions Obladi Oblada. You could say there's Honey Pie and Wild Honey Pie. They're kind of two, you know, songs that reference each other. Revolution 9 is born out of the extended yep. coda of Revolution 1, so they're making songs about songs. Do you think Hey Jude is in any part a song about the Beatles? Well, it's about Julian, isn't it? It is uh, about Julian. Is it John? No, you, I, can, I can see that look <laughs> on your face. You've got a theory. You're about to spring a theory. Well, well, no, but John said after the fact, like, Hey Jude, the story with Hey Jude is that... Um, uh, Paul McCartney was driving out to see Cynthia Lennon, who John had just separated from, and he was going out to see Cynthia Lennon and John's son Julian, who would have been about four or five at the time. And driving along in the car, he started singing to himself, Hey Jules, and he had the song in his head by the, the time he got there. And 
once again Rob Sheffield <laughs> writes in his book what rock star drives to see his drives to see his friend's ex-wife you know it's it just it's a it's a very friendly warm thing to do um but John once he heard the song and John loved the song Hey Jude John had this sense that the song was about him that mm. it was Paul saying you know you're my partner you go and do what you need to do type thing and I guess the song has become that for everybody well it is I think it's uh, I, I, what I what I like about Hey Jude is the fact that it it, it 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 seems to be universal. It taps into something universal. So it means something to everyone. And yep. It means something different. So yes, John thinks the line "Now you have found her, go out and get her" is a is a is a very direct sort of exhortation. Yes, you've got Yoko. I'm all for that. You you go and get her and marry her, and she's your partner. And mm-hmm. um, whereas I I I don't know that that's. Yeah, I, I don't. Th- I don't think it bears that interpretation. But I think the song is a song that lends itself. It speaks to people in in different uh, scenarios. John just happened to be the first person in the world to experience yeah. that off the song, yeah. and just in a solipsistic yeah. way, assumed it was him. Yeah. But it it comes back to the White Album sessions. It comes back to George Harrison again, Trailblazer, Not Guilty, a song that doesn't make the White Album in the end. It now lives on on the anthology and on the White Album extended version. Um, but that's a song about the Beatles situation yes and that's that's the first song that I think really um, sort of lifts the lid slightly on the disharmony mm. uh, within the group so the, my understanding is that song is very much written um, after uh, Rishi Kesh after they come back they're, they're disillusioned they've they've uh, at least John uh, in particular has, has sort of turned against the Maharishi so uh, by way of background 67, uh, George is really taking a lead role in his love of Indian music, has, has led him to the Maharishi and to meditation. And it's really at his suggestion that they go to, to, to Bangor to a, uh, in Wales for this meditation session that then leads to a longer stay uh, in India. And then when that falls apart, this song seems to me to be him saying, look, it's not my fault, mm-hmm. um, you know, for leading you astray on the road to Mandalay. It's not, uh, you know, don't blame me for this. Yeah. Um, I think George never really fell out with the Maharishi. Uh, at one point, I think he apologizes to the Maharishi much, mm-hmm. much later uh, uh, on, you know, decades afterwards. Um but I think it's hard. It's hard not to think that McCartney, in particular, listening to this song, would be thinking, "This isn't going on the album. Yeah, we're not. We're not going to lay this out. This is this is the dirty washing. We're not going to wash this in public." Yeah, and it's a song, not guilty. I mean, it's it's a good song. Um, it's the first Beatles song to go past a hundred takes. They did a yeah. hundred takes of this song, and it still doesn't make it onto the White Album. But George, oh yeah, I was going to say, I think I think it was. Scheduled for inclusion. Yes. George goes to uh, America. John and Paul are doing the sequencing. Mm. Not guilty doesn't make the cut. Pretty brutal. So there you go. Not not even a (laughs) B-side. So then you get to the end of 68, the White Album comes out. But then in 1969, it's the start of the angry songs. So what it's initially begun is something playful, maybe a bit arch. Uh, We start to get the accusatory angry songs and so January 1969 the Beatles that's the month they spend in session being filmed trying to make Get Back slash Let It Be and famously uh, you know a couple of days in uh, George Harrison walks out and the song he writes is I Be Mine 
and Wawa. Wawa. So those two songs together, again, you've got George kind of putting himself, being very kind of open and angry and explicit about what's going on. Um, and they, there's a, he's not really beating about the bush here, is he? No, I think Wawa in particular um, is a song which is, uh, he's using the term Wawa as a sort of substitute for headache or, you're, you know, you're giving me a, pain in the neck yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think I, I think we can be pretty clear he was directing that at Paul hmm. uh, it was the first song that he recorded for All Things Must Pass Is there any Beatles attempt at Wawa? It ne- does he ever present it to them at any I, point? I, I don't think I've come across yeah, I mean, there's hours and hours of, of, of footage but no I think he wrote that song uh, and uh, I, I think that was very much going to be a, a, a solo mm. and the other interesting thing is that his first solo concert after the Beatles, yeah. uh, Bangladesh, the first song he opens with, Wawa. Wawa. But it's a, it's, it's a great song. It's, it's a fantastic song. Is it mainly about Paul or is he railing at the whole Beatles uh, system? Because he's really unhappy in January 69. He feels that he is past all of this. He is. I think, I think probably the initial focus is uh, Paul. And what, what we should say at this stage is that, that George's beef mm. initially is with John. Right. So in the get back sessions, it's it's John that he has, you know, the, the reports in the music press at the time that they physically come to blows. Mm-hmm. Um, so although it's it's the argument between George and Paul, which uh, uh, sort of dominates people's thinking because it, that turns up in in the Let It Be movie, he he had major fallout with with John. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's it's it's. His dissatisfaction goes beyond that, and I think uh, he's in the lyrics of Wawa. He's talking about the Beatles and about fame, and you know, you made me such a big star. You, mm-hmm. you came along at the right time, but it, you're cheaper than a dime. And I think he's he's trying to make the point that for all of this fame, all of this money, it's really worthless. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of look at the rest of 1969. Um, you have the Ballad of John and Yoko, where John and Yoko basically go off for a few weeks they get married they do their first bed in for peace John puts it in a song and it's I mean I'm a huge fan of the ballad of John and Yoko and the the, it's their last UK number one and it features just Paul and John recording and playing the song in a single day Um, but it's 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 quite amazing that you know when you consider seven years earlier they're doing please please me love me do and now top billing the ballad of John and Yoko you're all going to be fascinated in this yes. here's a song about me and what I did on my summer vacation it's uh, it's a it's a credit to them again that they kind of managed to pull it off I think so uh, I, I always sort of imagine Paul through slightly gritted teeth mm. uh, at that session but by all accounts uh, it was a very friendly session they're, they're sort of laughing and joking around and uh, certainly Paul is is contributing, uh, you know, fully to the session and yeah. uh, uh, the, the the arrangement of the the song. But I I, I think this is the the peak of John's uh, art is about the artist. Mm. Uh, my life as a diary. My, my you know he's putting out records at this stage. You've had two virgins. You life with the lions. The wedding album is mm. is, is the follow. All of this is is basically a documentary. They're making documentary films about themselves. Uh, they're they're appearing in the press. They're doing happenings. They're doing events. So, so this is just uh, an extension of that. Mm. But it's nice that it comes through the Beatles filter. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I I, I wonder if 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 George and Ringo had been in the country, would 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 this have made the cut? Yes. And the thing we've never because we've talked about this before is 
John and Yoko were inseparable in 1969, but was Yoko at the session for the bad of John and Yoko? And it seems yes. she wasn't. I, well, I can't. Maybe. F- yeah, we looked at this. And yeah. I, I looked at, I looked at uh, you know, I've read McDonald's, Ian McDonald's book. I've looked at Mark Lewison's uh, recording sessions book. And I just, I can't find any reference, mm-hmm. you know, in Jeff Emmerich's book. I can't find any reference to her being there. But yet it's inconceivable that she wasn't there. Yes. But if Possibly. Was, but if she was there... It would be documented somewhere. So yes. they, they were, they were, as you say, they were literally inseparable. You know, we had stories about John following Yoko to the bathroom mm-hmm. so that she wouldn't, you know, he was sort of so paranoid and they were so wrapped up in each other. Well, yeah, they might have been doing something else. Well, you know, possible. Um, and then, you know, 1969 is the year where business kind of overtakes the Beatles and rents everything asunder. So there's two Paul songs that stick out. You Never Give Me Your Money, which ends up on Abbey Road, which is written in March and recorded in May, where he's basically singing about his loss of faith in uh, new business manager Alan Klein. Uh, and then a song that appears on the anthology eventually, Come and Get It, another song kind of about money, which, yep. uh, you know, he's... You know, it's it's you could argue, well, you know, do you really need to be singing about money or a big rich pop star? But I think they are heartfelt. He's he's kind of using money as some kind of allegory for heartbreak or for upset or for, you know, you keep it. What the hell's going on? You know, kind of thing. It is. I think I think I think that whole uh, suite on the second side uh, that leads off with you never give me your money. And then, uh, as you say, it, it, it kind of returns to it. It it is heartbreaking. Mm. Uh, it, it is heartbreaking, and uh, you, you could you can hear his uh, his regret. And as you say, that it's 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 not about money. It's about the funny paper that he sings about. It's about contracts and yes. it's the business, and it's this business interfering with art. And uh, uh, you know this idea that um, when when Epstein was there, they they didn't have to be concerned about the business side of things. Yeah, and they they could just create the art. But now suddenly. Uh, money is uh if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery think again juvederm volux xc is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime even better this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, contracts, management contracts are intruding. 
And there's an interesting thing I, I've noticed here that you kind of get to 69 to 71. When Paul mentions cars in songs, they tend to be a metaphor for freedom, for escape, for getting away from it. So he talks about cars in, you know, um, You Never Give Me Your Money and yeah. all that. Um, also in The Two of Us. But yeah. The Two of Us, he has said, is a song about him and Linda, not a song about him and John. That's, uh, yeah, he says that. But I, I, again, I think maybe in the same way that you were saying, Hey Jude is sort of subconsciously... Mm. Uh, Lennon is thinking, well, he's he's kind of reaching. It. You're writing a song about one thing, and then it's only years afterwards you realise actually, no, I was writing about something else. I, I cannot get past the notion that yeah. the two of us mm. uh, is is really him writing um, about his relationship with John, particularly mm. that line. You know, we we have memories. Yeah. We have memories longer than the road that stretches out ahead. Well, that that, that doesn't apply if you've just married. If somebody. you've just married yeah. Linda, that's not that's not him talking about Linda. That's talking about yes. John. And it's this it's it's a continu- it's this notion that he continues on in to carry that weight when they record that uh, mm-hmm. uh, for Abbey Road, that uh, he realizes that you know you're going to carry that weight a long time. He knows that this is the most significant relationship yes. he has had in his life and probably will ever have in his life and, and there will be a burden and it's going to be it's going to be a, a burden and he's he's reflecting on that and there's 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 a i think two of us is probably one of my favorite uh mccartney songs mm-hmm. and i think there's just a sort of a wistful quality to it and uh you know we're 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 moving on but y- you know uh, he's reflecting on 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 that past relationship okay so then you kind of cross cross the threshold into the solo careers and this is where things take a very deliberate turn because this what Mick Jagger called the four-headed beast suddenly becomes four individuals who start sending open and maybe closed messages to each other in the press and you know in letters and and particularly in in songs so you know this kind of next phase is where the Beatles take the gloves off and just have a go at each other mainly Um, but I think each the way each of the four Beatles approaches this tells you a little bit about their personality. So we've touched upon, you know, George has, you know, Wah Wah. So All Things Must Pass comes out in 1970. There's a couple of other songs on All Things Must Pass that are Beatles specific. Yeah, there's there's one song in particular uh, called Run of the Mill. Mm. And uh, I think George's widow, Olivia, rates this as uh, one of her favourite songs. Um, but th- th- this is... Uh, it's very different from Wawa. Mm-hmm. You know, Wawa is a sort of very intense. Uh, you, you, you've got that driving horn arrangement. Uh, it's, it's quite aggressive. This is a very sort of wistful uh, song. Uh, it's been described as a, a love song to the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Um, being George, you obviously can't resist a little bit of a dig yes. at Paul in the lyrics where, when he says, you know, there's a, if I can quote this, he said, tomorrow when you rise, it's another day for you to realize me or send me down again. Mm-hmm. You've got me wondering how I lost your friendship, but I see it in your eyes. So he's he's reflecting back and thinking, well, how did we get from the guys that were in the studio or in the back of the transit van mm-hmm. to here? Um, and it, it, it's, it, it is a very wistful song. Yes. And, and George has admitted in, in interviews that, yeah, this is, this is a song, you know, uh, Paul about Paul not really giving George his due or giving him his place as mm. a musician or a songwriter. Does uh, Isn't it a pity? Does that fit as a Beatles reflection song? I think the long version mm-hmm. uh, has a coda yes. to it, has a long fade out. And uh, there's a, a backstory which is uh, to the recording of Hey Jude, 
where George comes up with the idea as part of the arrangement and well, every time you sing a line I'll do a little answering phrase yeah. on the guitar and Paul is having none of it mm. uh, and that's that's a major argument uh, and clearly this is something that just stuck with George mm-hmm. I, I would say probably never entirely went away because um, he references it in the get back sessions and on isn't it a pity mm-hmm. you know which is a sort of isn't it a pity how we cause each other pain etc etc he arranges this song with a fade out mm-hmm. which just mimics yeah. the Hey Jude fade kind out kind of just you hear the Hey you Jude, hear hey Jude out uh, sort of it. coming in and out of it and it is exactly one second shorter than Hey Jude <laughs> so I think he was being very pointed uh, in that but George got to do his little repeating phrase finally on Real Love yeah where he gets that yeah, done and, and then it's great <laughs> <laughs> and then they never recorded again he just yeah. had to get that out of his system yeah um, and uh, you mentioned earlier on Apple Scruffs as well as on All Things Must Pass which is kind of a more friendly yes, reflection towards the of fans the, standing on the doorstep mm. so maybe then we might tip over and say well what's John doing and so in 1970 on Plastic Ona Band he puts out God and on 71 he puts out How Do You Sleep yeah Let's talk about God, because that's the... I remember when I was a, a teenage new Beatles fan hearing God uh, for the first time, I think, oh, I can't believe he said that, uh, where he lists out all the things he wants to destroy and dismiss. Uh, yes, I mean, the first time I heard it, it's like a slap in the face. Yeah. Um, and the first time I heard Plastic Owner Band, it was uh, the brother of a friend of mine who was a Beatles fan, and he gave me the cassette to mm-hmm. listen to. Uh, and I think, I think the cassette is sequenced the running order is slightly uh, different but in giving me the cassette he specifically refers to this song and says you're not going to believe this you're not going to believe now this must have been 1978 mm-hmm. 79 but we were coming fresh to this uh, you know the Beatles had only split up eight years ago uh, I'm still discovering the solo catalogue but it is it's, it's a very kind of striking uh, uh, sort of denial of everything that went yeah. that went before um, a long list of things that he doesn't believe in the Beatles, you know, uh, being being at the end, which, uh, you know, the inference maybe the Beatles were bigger than God <laughs> and Jesus and the Kennedys and Buddha and Dylan and Elvis. And, and yoga. He really sticks it uh, to yeah, yoga, does, he? doesn't he? care for yoga or yeah, tarot God. cards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then this, this idea, the dream is over. Mm. I was the walrus. I was the dream weaver, but mm. not, now I'm John. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a very clear uh, uh, sort of demarcation in his mind absolutely the Beatles are finished yeah uh, so I mean in 1970 you know George was still saying oh well I don't see why we shouldn't work together at some point in the past we would probably come together and do something mm. John is absolutely saying right that's it yeah you know there's no going back and I, I first heard that song in the Imagine documentary the 1988 Imagine documentary mm-hmm. where he's kind of explaining a solo career and I remember you hear it and you think oh I don't believe in Beatles and there's this big pause as I get older I, I, I think Mm, you know it kind of it's not a song you listen to a lot no I think it's one of those songs that if you were there at the time Mm. I think context is everything and I I, I think if you had been a fan if you were uh, you you know a teenager in your 20s at that time that that must have been Mm. uh, sort of like the, the final death knell for the Beatles and then the other song that I also saw for the first time in that documentary is How Do You Sleep, which comes the following year yeah. on Imagine. And John's backpedaled a lot on How Do You Sleep he in did. the aftermath yeah. of it. Yeah, very unconvincingly, I have to say. Yeah. Um, but this, 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 uh, so th- this is on Imagine from 1971. This is really the peak 
mm. of, of John's uh, vitriol, vitriol directed towards McCartney, really because uh, you know John would say McCartney was writing about me. Yeah. So there are a couple of songs that we maybe look at on McCartney's album uh, Ram, mm-hmm. uh, but this is really uh, it, it's a response. Yes. Uh, to to what he perceived as Paul taking swipes at him, and of course at this stage, uh, and again this is something we might touch on in another podcast is is at this stage they're writing letters to each other through mm. the, through the pages of the music press mm. um, until eventually they kind of have a conversation and say okay let's let's just stop it yeah uh, and draw a line under it. But this is this is really. Um, uh, the, the peak uh, vitriol and the interesting thing as well is uh, George is on this mm. doing the slide guitar yeah. and um, but yeah John John uh, back uh, pedaled uh, a lot and particularly in that, that, that I think it's the Playboy interview in 1980 mm. saying oh it's not about Paul really it's about me you know I regret that it was taken that way yeah. but y- y- you know it's like he compares it to Dylan doing like a Rolling Stone. It's just a nasty song. Yeah. It's just kind of, but, and he said, well, you know, Paul took it the way he did. It refers to him. People, other people mm. kept asking Paul, how do you feel about this? How do you feel? You know, John is saying these things. But then Paul, he says. Paul was supposed to say, I sleep very well, thank you. Yeah. That was his big joke. But the thing with how do you sleep is, I think it it has aged very badly. You know, it, it. You know, he uses phrases like "you live with straights," you know, yeah. which is kind of quite dated. And you know, he says you jump when your mama tells you anything. Where he, you know, John conflates having a wife with having a mother, which is one of his issues. It's another whole podcast that, right? <laughs> for all of us. And um, you know, he says uh, the other lyric I, I've written down here is "a pretty face will last a year or two. They'll pretty soon see what you can do." And obviously, that meant filling massive arenas and stadiums <laughs> and having a series of number ones with a second successful group. Good old Paul. But he does call him brother in the song, which is nice. Yeah. Although there's an outtake where he calls him something else. Yes. Um, and that's the point. Ringo, I think, was present. All right. Uh, he doesn't appear on the track, but mm-hmm. that's the point uh, at which Ringo intervened and kind of said, okay, yeah. enough is enough. Yeah. Um, and the other person who contributed a lyric was uh, Klein. Oh, yeah. Who came up with the uh, Since You've Gone, You're Just Another Day, which was, of course, Another Day was the current McCartney single. His first time. solo His first, single was yeah. Another, yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, the, the, the good thing about the song, it has this kind of proto Pink Floyd boogie going on to it that I do kind of like. I'd almost like an instrumental version of it where it yeah. just sort of yeah. pushes on and pushes on. There's some nice raw takes on the Imagine I box was going to say it's worth, uh, you know, I'm not saying it's worth buying the entire uh, Imagine <laughs> box just to get it, but it, it's worth seeking it out. I think it's on Spotify. Uh, mm. So the early takes are interesting. So we're kind of getting all over in our chronology here, but, you know, How Do You Sleep came out after the Ram album. So yeah. Paul's first album was McCartney. There's not really a whole lot of Beatle references on McCartney. There's a couple of Hangover Beatle songs. But yeah, but I don't, I don't think there's anything the referential there. But then we get on to the next album, 1971's Ram, which is labelled as being by Paul and Linda McCartney. And John certainly felt there was a lot going on there that was referencing the Beatles. For starters, there's the picture on the back of two Beatles, B-E-E-T-L-E-S, yep. having sex uh, yep. of the insects. And, uh, yeah, which were the songs that John had an issue with on? So I think the first one uh, is uh, Too Many People, mm-hmm. uh, which which leads off the album. Uh, slightly odd start to that song where McCartney's just saying, piece of cake. Yes. Um, so whether that whether, whether he means, oh, this solo stuff is, is piece of cake. It's yeah. absolutely uh, easy. But 
Uh, Some people think he's saying something else. Yeah, I, 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 I piss off. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he's saying that. I, I, think, don't, you know, I don't think so either, really. But uh, you know, I don't think Paul in 1971 would would be prepared to go there. <laughs> but uh, but um, I, I think the lyrics that the, specifically the lyrics that that Lennon thought were, were sort of a little dig at him was uh, too many people preaching practices, mm. and uh, you took your lucky break and you broke it in two. Now what can be done for you? And um, y- y- you know McCartney did concede much much later that yes, those lyrics he was he was having a a pop uh, at Lennon. What he said was there was one tiny little reference uh, to John. and said he'd been doing a lot of preaching. It was getting up my nose a bit. Um, that was a little dig at John and Yoko. Uh, but there wasn't anything else on the album that was about them. So he's very adamant. Uh, he kind of accepts, yes, that. But that, mm-hmm. that was it. And very mild. But it's very, well, it is mild. It's very poor. Because if we're looking at how each of the four of them addressed this issue, you know, you have John just kind of laying yep. in, being very clear. You have George basically singing about my ego is destroyed and my yep. nervous system has been torn yep. inside yep. out. And Paul is saying, this was a lucky break. Guys, yes. the lucky break. You've, yeah. you've, 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 ruined, you've, you've ruined, ruined your lucky break. Um, you know, he's like, well, I, you know, how could you have done that? You, you're, you're all so naughty, is kind of Paul's take on it. But it, it goes to show that if people thought John was a big guy who didn't care, John obviously cared a lot about yeah. what Paul was saying. Yeah, if those I, small things got to him, it is. I mean, I think I I, I think the the for me the the the, the sort of the key to understanding uh, John's relationship with John or John's relationship with Paul at that stage was the fact that Paul openly left the Beatles before John left the Beatles. You yes. know, John John had left the Beatles. He denounced his intention to do that. And he always said afterwards, my mistake was not doing what Paul did, which was using it as a sort of springboard to launch my solo career. Mm-hmm. So I think he was really pissed at the idea that McCartney yes. had stolen a march on him. Mm. Um, now, having said that, McCartney was the one then that carried the blame and, and uh, in the music press and the fans, etc. Um, but I think you're right. McCartney is, is much more prone to write slightly oblique uh, references um, you know the other song is Three Legs yes which on the face of it is is a sort of un- slightly nonsense mm-hmm. song and it's more the three leg ideas to me it's just playing with the rhythm of the song and the, the, the time signatures but you know John, George, Ringo they all took that as being uh, you know three legs mm. That's what you've done. You know, the Beatles are without me. Yes, you're, you're, you're kind of hobbled. You're a three-legged dog. But and, Paul um, denies all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it does contain the line, you know, when I thought you was my friend, but you let me down, put my heart around the band. Uh, you know, my dog, he's got three legs, but he can't run. So is the subconscious uh, playing this tricks is, again? This is either he's he's just not coming clean about it or yeah. else he's writing something and it's just, as you say, subconsciously spilling out onto the page. Mm. And then the last song on the album, Backseat in My Car, was yeah. it John who thought that was about him as well? Yeah. So this is really the, the, the outro to that song, which yeah. is, is we believe that we can't be wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, this sort of picks up from the first song, uh, which is, you know, you took your lucky break. Too many people preaching practices telling us what to do. And then at the end, you know, we believe that we can't, which, which turns into a sort of huge mm. production uh, number of sort of Beach Boys harmonies. And, it's a, uh, it's a, obviously, the backseat of my car is a fantastic high point to the album, but the song originates in the Let It Be sessions. There yeah. are Beatles recordings of it. Now, it doesn't yeah. have that outro yeah. bit. But it does, you know, you can you can hear that on bootlegs. And there's also some bootlegs of the, the Ram version, kind of instrumental versions. And you kind of hear Paul reaching for lyrics. So when he's singing, we believe that we can't be wrong. 
he's really just doing that thing where he's placeholding lyrics. Rah, 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 rah. He's yeah. just trying to figure out what goes in there and it, that just seems to fit. To I, I don't really think there's any particular intent on that, but they're all quite prickly, obviously. At this I point. think so. I think they're all looking for uh, slights and yeah. comments and uh, the relationship is deteriorating yeah. so badly at this point. And so if we're saying that, you know, George is having destruction of the ego, John is having, you know, t- these kind of fisticuffs, Paul is saying, hey guys, come on, everything's wrong. We ask ourselves the big question, what was Ringo up to? And Ringo is up to early 1970, early 1970. which is a B-side of which song? Uh, it's it Don't Come Easy. Well done. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, a song about early 1970 recorded in late 1970. And it's possible, you know, if you're listening to this, you don't know this song, but it is unarmingly, disarmingly... Um, What's the word? It's kind. Of, it's kind of very free and open. It's, it's very open. It's a very there's, there's, there's a sort of naivety to it. Yes. That, that for all that Lennon is kind of going through his primal scream and, and putting everything out there. For all that George is 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 putting it, it's Ringo's song mm. is is the most sort of disarmingly mm. char. It's charming, which I I suppose is the essence of Ringo. Yes. Is is just his charm. And so it's in early 1970 itself Ringo's recording the Sentimental Journey album and he talks about how for the first time he looks around and the other guys aren't there and this is a song about wishing the other guys were there and wondering what his relationship is with each of them because it's called when was it called when Four Nights Come to Town it was called When Four Nights Come to Town was the the original working title and and he's recording it while he's recording Plastic Ono Band with John with John and each verse takes uh, Ringo's point of view of you know looking at each individual Beatle and whether they'll play with him and the, the, the verse that's kind of uncertain is the verse with Paul yeah whether he doesn't even know yeah so he refers to you know McCartney he refers to him being on the farm yeah when he comes to town I don't know if he's going to play I wonder if he'll play with me whereas mm-hmm. George it's like he's always here playing with me uh, when John comes to town I know he's going to play with me yeah um, and uh, McCartney yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And right at the end, he says, but I know I want to see all three. I want to see all three. Which is just, you yeah. know, they're, it's, it's, they're just a bunch of guys. And this is, this is you know, he, Ringo has always the, the kind of the peacemaker. He's yeah. the one that kind of, apart from that brief period when he fell out with John because he was, or with George when he was sleeping with George's wife. I mean, he... he, he <laughs> when he, George was sleeping with his wife. Sorry, uh, sorry the other way around. Yeah, uh, uh, let's we, point that out. Should, yeah. Can uh, we, no one's going to sue. Yeah, no one's going to see. And actually, Alan Klein uh, suggested that they get uh, uh, McCartney. Paul on, yeah, yeah, to undermine Paul's legal claim yeah. if he got Paul onto this Ringo um, B side. So there's, so the, the, and, and the lineup for that is uh, Ringo, George, and Klaus Vormann, mm. who's on bass. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, I've heard some people say, you know, Lennon's there as well, or he's playing acoustic guitar, but I don't think that's... He's certainly in the environment. He's in the environment, but say it, it's during the, the Plastic Owner Band sessions. But, uh, yeah, Ringo is, Ring, this is Ringo's great gift, isn't it? This kind of charm and emollient that kind of helps bring them all together. There's a lovely bit at the end of the anthology footage where they're all sitting in George's garden, and it's what, 1994, and it's Ringo, George, and Paul. And there's this usual uh, thing Tension, between yeah. George and Paul, and Ringo sitting in between the two of them, and they're all what, in their 50s now, and Ringo just says really openly, I really love seeing you guys. Yeah. And Paul just gives him this lovely look, and Paul and George are like, yes, you are the person through whom we can agree yeah, we can, on things. Yes, we can communicate 
yes with each other yeah that's a very that's a that's a great interview it, it, because the tension is palpable yeah it's a magic bit of footage and we'll, we'll put up a link to that so there you know we kind of get into the start of 1972 here and the start of 1972 is where um paul and john are thought to have a detente where they you know put down their fighting tools against each other but uh, it is not the end of Beatles songs about the Beatles. So we are going to have a part two on this where we look at what songs happen next because the tone changes and obviously history changes and what they write about changes. So we are going to come back to Beatles songs about the Beatles in part two of this podcast. Uh, this has been Nothing Is Real. You can follow us in the usual places. Look for us on Facebook. We're on Twitter on at Beatles Pod. Uh, my name's Jason Carty. My name's Stephen Cockcroft. And we'll talk to you next time. Part two of Beatles songs about the Beatles on Nothing Is Real. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.